I wish you greetings, salutations, and all that jazz, as Bugs Bunny used to say. Or maybe he still does. I'm not sure. Been a while since I checked out Bugs, but I digress. Welcome to the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast. My name is Mike, and I had a great weekend. Uh, maybe bittersweet, a better word for it, but still a very good weekend. Spent the weekend with my sister, who, since we moved into our house in October of last year, has not visited. She lives in Boston, so I'll forgive her for that with her husband. So she came out for the first time. My nephew, oldest nephew, who lives and works in Paso Robles, he came out. And my youngest nephew, who lives and goes to school in Sacramento at Sac State, also came out. They were here for the whole day on Sunday, along with my wife and kids. And we just spent the entire day in the backyard. It was the kids, for the most part, in the pool. My mom, my sister, and my wife poolside by the patio furniture, drinking and talking, probably about my dad. And I was at the grill for the better part of the day, where dad would have been. As you probably know, my dad lost a battle with West Nile virus earlier this month. And um, he would have loved every second of seeing those who meant the most to him loving life. And he would have been smiling ear to ear and playing along and rustling with the kids in the pool and barbecuing and being a part of the conversation with my mom and my sister and my wife. But I know, had he not passed, we would not have all been there. My sister would have still been in Boston with her husband. My oldest nephew would have been working in Paso Robles. My youngest nephew would have been hanging out with friends in Sacramento. So it would have just been my wife and my kids, and that would have been fine. But to see all of us there in the pool, by the pool, by the grill, enjoying each other's company, I know my dad would have loved every second of it even knowing it was only possible because he wasn't there to enjoy it. So I'm going to do things a little differently this week. Uh, aside from my kids, I have yet to have a guest on with one of these podcasts, so I'm going to break with that tradition this week and actually have two. Coming up in a little bit, we're going to talk to Rochelle. Rochelle was in Las Vegas several years ago for a Jason Aldean concert you probably heard about. That's the concert where someone decided from one of the rooms at Mandalay Bay to shoot out the window and then start shooting at the crowd. She survived that attack and subsequently was given something that meant the world to her. And that something was taken away recently. And she posted about it on her socials. She got resolution with it recently, but there's more to the story than you may have known or heard, even if you followed the story on Facebook. So... I'll have her share that story with you coming up. But first, because I knew so little about West Nile before my dad got it, I had a chance to catch up with Sharon Minnick. She is an epidemiologist with Tulare County Health and Human Services Agency last week and started off the conversation very simply asking, what do we actually know right now? about West Nile? Well, we know a lot of the real basics about West Nile virus. We understand the basics of the transmission cycle. This is a virus that infects birds, especially, and it's transmitted between birds and mosquitoes. So it exists in a cycle in nature between birds and mosquitoes, and then every once in a while, one of those mosquitoes will bite a human or a horse, 
instead of a bird, and the human or the horse can get infected with the virus that way. We know that hot weather plays a role because the virus needs to reproduce inside the mosquito, and it will happen faster during hot weather, and the mosquitoes themselves will also reproduce faster during hot weather. And we know that the risk factors for um, having more severe disease are age, so people over 60 are especially at risk, and also people with certain chronic conditions such as diabetes can be more at risk for severe disease. So does the West Nile virus have any effect whatsoever on the mosquito itself? As far as we know, a lot of these mosquito-borne viruses don't have much of an effect on the mosquito. If it does have an effect, it's probably a very small effect. Um, if it did have a big effect, that would be detrimental to the mosquito's life cycle, and it would tend to, um, the mosquito would be more resistant against the viruses themselves. Um, so people have studied not only West Nile virus, but similar viruses such as dengue virus and yellow fever virus. And like I said, there may be some small effects against mosquitoes, but nothing that we've really found in a large way. It, I, it can affect other host species, such as the birds. If you remember when West Nile first came here to North America, we saw a lot of crows dying from West Nile virus. So is it the bird that gets it and then the mosquito in taking blood from the bird inadvertently, in a sense, gives it to humans and horses? Yes. So okay. the birds, the birds can get sick. The birds have a viremia, which means the virus is growing in their blood. And when the mosquito takes the blood meal, the virus can grow inside the mosquito as well. And then it will transmit um, in its next bite through its salivary gland. So it will. The next time it bites another host, it can transmit the virus. So this isn't necessarily a mosquito taking blood from a bird that had already passed, or is that the case? No, the birds are, are usually alive at the time. They, they have to have um, virus in their blood, and then the mosquito will um, take a blood meal, and then the bird may go on to become more sick and die after that. And are horses, at least at this point, the only other known animals, mammals, that will also get West Nile virus in addition to humans? Horses are the other one that are really affected. I think there are some other um, small animals, maybe ground squirrels in California especially, that they have done surveillance with. Um, but the main, the main animals are birds and humans and horses. Okay. And is it only from birds that mosquitoes can get West Nile? Now I say if a mosquito draws blood from someone who has West Nile. Can that mosquito then give it to another person, or a bird has to be involved in the equation in some way? It really has to be a bird because the virus in humans and horses just doesn't grow in our blood to the same extent. So it doesn't become uh, concentrated enough in our blood to infect a mosquito. Okay. So that's what we know about it. What do we not know about it that we really wish we did? I think the main thing we would really want to know is, first of all, um, you know, about 80% of people who get infected don't even show signs of illness. And of the 20% who do, most of them have relatively mild disease, just a febrile illness, a fever, muscle aches, you know, feeling just like you have a summer flu. 
Um, and then there's that small, less than 1% of people who develop very severe disease, and we just don't know exactly why. We know that age can be a risk factor. We know certain medical conditions can be a risk factor, but we don't know the details of that. And of course, the other big thing is that we don't really know the best treatments for people when they do get severe illness. I know it is a virus, uh, as West Nile, uh, or I mean, as COVID-19 is a virus. Are there any, like with bacterial infections, there are things that you can take to help you know, eliminate that. What is the, the main reason why there aren't typically, or maybe there aren't any, I'm really not sure, uh, treatments specifically for viruses? You treat symptoms for the most part, from what I understand, but there's really nothing you can do to get the virus out of someone's system. Right. Well, we do have some antivirals, but I think in general, when you think about bacterial infections, a lot of our antibiotics actually came originally from other microorganisms. So bacteria and fungus are kind of battling each other all the time and producing compounds to kind of limit the other's growth so that they can have more you know, resources for themselves. And so we've been able to really um, take advantage of that. So penicillin, you know, comes from, originally it came from a fungus. Um, so, so we can take advantage of that in terms of bacteria. We don't really have that in terms of viruses because a virus has to grow inside of a cell in order to replicate. The other um, thing that brings up is that if the virus is growing in our cells and it will use our own cellular machinery for a lot of its reproduction. So any compound you have that goes against the virus, a lot of them will also be toxic against our own cells. So it can be a little bit trickier to find antiviral compounds that target the virus specifically and not be toxic to humans or other mammals. You mentioned there are some antivirals. What, what makes it appropriate or possible to have an antiviral when it comes to some viral diseases, but not with others? What's the difference between those two? I think some of it comes down to just the clinical trials. So all these things have to be tested in clinical trials to see if they're even effective or not. This gets harder and harder the more rare a disease is. The other thing is that some, some of the pathogenicity we see from viral infections may actually be due to the immune system itself. Um, so then you have to also think, are, are we, do we need to suppress the immune system to help prevent those, those effects? But on the other hand, if you don't want to suppress the immune system if it's actually a direct effect of the virus because then you'll make things worse. So things have to really be studied in clinical trials. You have to have enough people, enough researchers studying, trying different things. You have to have enough volunteers for these trials. So it could just be more difficult um, to really come up with good treatments. I would imagine since you mentioned that it is sometimes not diagnosed at all because someone thinks it's just they have a slight cold or a flu and after a few short days it seems to go away, that it is something that is misdiagnosed quite a bit. And I know that was the case with my dad when he was first admitted to the hospital. He was admitted and was treated for pneumonia and was given some medications for that. It seemed like he was getting better, which obviously turned out to be just a coincidence. A couple days later, he got a fever again, was checked back into the hospital, and was diagnosed with uh, meningitis. 
How often is West Nile misdiagnosed, especially early on in a West Nile season? Well, I think early on is the key thing, especially. Um, The doctor has to really have that in mind. So it's certainly helpful if someone knows that they've been bitten by mosquitoes and can bring that up, then the doctor will have that specifically in mind. Here um, in the Central Valley, we do see a fair bit of West Nile virus in the later part of the summer. So our peak season is July, August, September. Um, So during that time, I think the doctors are pretty aware of the possibility of West Nile and will test for it. Outside of that season, it's going to be a little bit less at the forefront of their mind, but there's always going to be some danger of misdiagnosis. And of course, we don't know how many cases might be misdiagnosed. It would be hard to say. But again, most of the treatment is supportive in any case, so it's unlikely that it would make a huge difference in a person's clinical care. Yeah, especially with, again, West Nile and any of the viruses that there are no antivirals for, because ultimately all you're doing is treating symptoms as they pop up, which they did in my dad's case, and it was just the hope that his body was going to fight it before his body gave up and, and ultimately that's what ended up happening in in his case does being um just physically fit uh seem to make a difference at all i will say one thing with my dad that my mom and my dad were both going to a gym on a regular basis before covid19 shut down the gyms and then they seemed to forget that there was a sidewalk outside their home they could take a walk without going to the gym and they would be the first to admit that they kind of let things slide physically with them. Can that be a determinant? I don't think we really know the answer to that. Okay. Um, what does typically, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know, why is it that, or is there a known reason why it is that some will end up getting it, having no idea whatsoever, as is sometimes the case with even COVID-19. And others get it, and it does truly end up being something that that takes their life. Why such a huge difference between those two? We really don't know. That's what I said at the beginning, that this is one of those really big unknowns for West Nile virus. Um, Definitely humans don't tend to get a large viremia, that's the amount of virus in the blood. And so some people may have very low levels of viremia, and that could be why they don't get severe illness. For other people, there may just be something in their immune system or something in their their cell receptors that allow the virus to enter their cells more readily um, or escape the immune system enough that they enter the cells more and then they become more severely ill. But we really don't know the answer to that question. You mentioned diabetes, I remember early on as well. Um, is age a major issue as well? I'm assuming those who are possibly older are more susceptible to those who are younger? Yes, that's correct. So age is the best known risk factor for severe disease with West Nile. So people over 60 especially um, are at more risk for severe illness. Now, the one thing that I have read over and over in the articles that I've come across with is, especially if you're going to spend any time outside, mosquito repellent with DEET. And that, that's the one key word I keep on hearing, the four-letter word that will help protect you. But at the same time, mosquitoes do go inside. Um, I doubt everyone sprays themselves from head to toe every single time they leave the house. Otherwise, everyone would be smelling like off this time of year. 
Um, other than do making sure you do spray yourself if you'll be working in the yard and knowing that you'll be spending extensive time outside. What can we do to protect ourselves? So like you said, mosquito repellent is a big one. Um, the mosquitoes that transmit West Nile are most active during dawn and dusk. So if you're going to be outside during those times, that's when it's especially important to either wear mosquito repellent and or long sleeves and long pants to help protect yourself. Um, you can also take action about mosquitoes that may be growing in and around your house. So you can dump and drain any standing water. Make sure you're maintaining your swimming pools. If you might remember a few years ago, green pools were a really big um, issue, uh, especially after the housing crisis and so many foreclosed homes. And we had a lot of um, the mosquitoes growing in these pools. Um, you can report any mosquito problems to your local vector control agency or, or city code enforcement. Um, sometimes the problem may not be your yard itself. It may be you know agricultural area um, down the street or a little ways away. And so in that case, you'd have to reach out to an agency and report the problem. We do have a lot of um, good surveillance in these areas from our vector control and mosquito abatement agencies to help try to keep track of the mosquitoes and when the numbers get too high and they start seeing virus inside the mosquitoes, they will um, do treatments with pesticides. And I can attest to what a great job they do as well when, again, my dad, uh, it was, became obvious that it was West Nile that you know, gave him the meningitis. Um, he and my mom had spent the weekend with us prior to his first trip to the hospital. So we're, we're still, to this day, don't know if it was from a mosquito here in Tulare County or in San Luis Obispo County where they live. But just to make sure we covered all bases, we got in touch with Tulare County Health and Human Services Agency, Carrie Montero there, and we called West, we called a Delta Vector Control District. They came out immediately when they realized what was going on. They walked throughout the property uh, Packwood Creek is nearby, so they went there. They got samples, and I was utterly impressed with everything they did. I also found out that in San Luis Obispo County, there was a ballot measure a year or so ago, and the citizens of the county decided not to fund any type of mosquito abatement. And uh, <laughs> that may have turned out to be a big mistake. Uh, the Salinas River runs right through there. It's usually dry for the most part, but in taking a walk at one point, I found a couple areas where there was standing water and let San Luis Obispo Health and Human Services know the situation, so hopefully they'll get it resolved. One thing I did find a little disturbing is when my dad was admitted to UCSF in San Francisco, and they through some type of testing that they did, they said that they were reasonably certain that he had West Nile and that was what uh, contributed to him having meningitis, but they couldn't confirm it and that, and maybe you can confirm this or not and explain why, but results and, and lab uh, uh, fluids and such had to be sent to a laboratory in Washington State and they actually had to ultimately confirm that it was West Nile. Is that just what has to be done, that there can be preliminary tests done at a hospital, but 
ultimately to make the determination it has to be sent to Washington State? There's a few different routes the testing can take. Um, a lot of times it will just depend on the facility itself and what their contracts are, which laboratories they contract with. Okay. So a number of lab big commercial laboratories can do the standard test for West Nile virus, which would be serological tests, for example, um, looking for antibodies against the virus in the blood or the cerebrospinal fluid. So these could be sent out of state for that reason. Um, our, our state lab here in California can also do what's called the plaque reduction neutralization test, which is a much more specific test. Um, and we use that test here sometimes because we want to distinguish between West Nile virus and a very closely related virus called St. Louis encephalitis virus, but they're actually very similar. So um, the effects are very similar and any prevention measures would be about the same. If someone, it's believed that they have West Nile and say they are taken to Kuya Health and a, and a diagnosis is done there, what, what should someone do, um, the, the relative of someone who is admitted to the hospital, do to just to make sure that um, results come back in a timely manner so that the right protocols are, are done to make sure that you know, they're, they're taken care of? Well, I think you will always want to keep a close eye on the medical care any any loved one is, is getting. Um, hospitals, you know, our hospitals are very good, but any provider can make a mistake, and you want to just keep following up and doing as, the best you can to understand what they're telling you and what they're testing um, is, is telling them. Is there any... The one thing with my dad I keep on going back to is if only we had known sooner, if only we had known sooner, but then I keep realizing there is no antiviral for West Nile, and chances are we would have just made him maybe a little bit more comfortable, but and he wouldn't have been given all the antibiotics that he was given, at least to start when it was thought that it was pneumonia. But what are some of the signs or symptoms that someone might have early on uh, if it is West Nile, that is going to result in a possible hospital stay? Well, the signs and symptoms would be fever, body aches, fatigue, joint pain, vomiting, diarrhea, or rash are some of the common ones. If someone's developing neurological signs, which could be a sign of more severe disease, that could include a really high fever, um, severe headache, confusion, neck stiffness, muscle weakness, numbness, vision loss, paralysis, or just unexpected weakness. Is meningitis always part of West Nile? Is it usually a part of it, or was it just rare in my dad's case that it became, you know, that, that was the, the main contributor to his passing? Yeah, West Nile um, meningitis is relatively rare. Like I said, about 80% of people don't seem to show any signs of infection, and only uh, less than 1% develops as really severe disease. There's also um, West Nile encephalitis, which affects the brain, and that can be very serious as well. Are there any other things we should do, especially this time of year, um, whether it's, you know, be cognizant of the fact that now you know we do know there is West Nile. 
I believe the Fresno Bee reported that there there were some other cases, none resulting in death, thank God, uh, and some mosquitoes caught that have it. But in addition to West Nile, this time of year, are there any other things that we need to be aware of, valley fever, anything like that? So we are approaching valley fever season. Um, August is Valley Fever Awareness Month, so that is definitely one to be aware of as well. Um, West Nile is the other big summer infection that we have. Of course, we still have um, coronavirus, so COVID-19 is still here, and especially with the Delta variant, which seems to be spreading very rapidly, it is spreading quite a bit among the unvaccinated people. Touching on that for just a moment, uh, I have read that it is... Yeah, I think the number that I've heard thrown out, it's twice as contagious as the original uh, strain that we had. Is there any research that's been done to this point to say that it's more deadly or can be more deadly? I've seen mixed um, reports on that. Some, some reports indicate it could be slightly more deadly, but others indicate it might not be. And the problem is it's just confounded a lot by the exact context of where an outbreak is happening and which population and at which time and among um, the, the age of the people. Because right now we're seeing more infections among younger people. So they tend to do better with the infection and have less severe disease. So it's it just, they haven't been able to really tease that out yet, as far as I can tell. The big thing is I'm hearing is vaccinations. Vaccinations that 99.9 whatever percent of those who have been vaccinated aren't getting any variant. Um, and, but, and there's been some debates about possibly being a little bit more vigilant wearing masks as well, whether you have been vaccinated or not. Have you read anything that kind of shows one way or the other at this point? We are really concerned about the Delta variant. It does seem to be definitely more infectious for everyone. Um, it, it's again, it's kind of hard to tell um, in the vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but if anyone thinks they may be at high risk for severe disease, they would definitely um, do well to um, to be cautious and maybe continue wearing masks, um, even if you are vaccinated. Um, we, we have seen some cases among people who were vaccinated and thought they would be completely safe, but because they were at higher risk, you know, being either elderly or having uh, chronic medical conditions, or especially uh, something that can compromise the immune system. So certain cancer treatments or um, other treatments for um, conditions that need to suppress the immune system, that can prevent someone from um, being fully protected from the vaccine. And I have also read that there have been few, very few, but still, and, and it's like when lightning strikes. When it strikes, it's going to make news because it doesn't happen very often. So when someone has been vaccinated, and they still end up getting the virus that is noteworthy. I have not read of any incidents, um, and if you have any information on this, I'd appreciate if you shared it as well, that anyone who has been vaccinated got the virus and it ended up being fatal in their case. I'm not sure we've seen that locally, but um, according to the CDC, there have been a small number of people that that has been true for. And again, it may be similar to what I was suggesting, where not everyone who gets vaccinated is going to be able to develop the full um, immunity. Okay. And it may just be because they're they're undergoing some sort of treatment or they have some other conditions that do lower their immunity. The other thing that I think we've all heard is that there may be a booster in 
the future for those of us who have been vaccinated. I got the Pfizer a while back and had both shots more than a month or so ago now. Uh, have you heard anything about possible boosters down the road, whether it be for the Moderna, the Pfizer, or the J&J? I think they're still discussing that. Um, it's certainly a possibility at some point, um, but right now the CDC is saying that doesn't seem to be necessary at this moment. But they're keeping an eye on um, the people who were first getting the vaccine and how their um, their protection level is doing. And talking with friends of mine who have refused to this point to get vaccinated, the one thing that most will hang their hat on is, well, it's been approved for emergency use. It's not getting the full-on umbrella approval from the FDA. Is As far as you've heard or read anywhere, is that close to happening? Because I know that's a big hurdle for a lot of people. We do expect it to get full approval um, at some point. We're just not sure exactly when, but hopefully in the next few months. All right. Um, in the short amount of time that we have left, um, again, whether it be West Nile, Valley Fever, COVID-19, um, what advice would, would you give us? I mean, it's, it's kind of been a rough 18, 20 months or so with lots of things happening and being on guard for this, that, and everything else. Um, is, is there some light at the end of the tunnel that you see that will give us some optimism? <laughs> Let's try to end on a happy note. Well, the vaccine is our light at the end of the tunnel. So if we can get our population vaccinated, that should decrease the, the amount of COVID-19. I mean, it did, it has worked here in Tulare County and the amount of cases we had have built some natural immunity. The vaccine can help build the rest of the immunity and then we can hopefully get back to life as normal. Dr. Minnick, Senior Epidemiologist for Tulare County Health and Human Services Agency, thank you for the time this morning. I know had you on this talk specifically about West Nile, but I appreciate the fact that we could dive into a couple other subjects that I know I've been thinking about and others have been concerned about as well. So thank you very much, and I know that if there is ever a need to reach out again, we will certainly be in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks again to epidemiologist Sharon Minnick with Tulare County Health and Human Services Agency for coming out with me last week and revisiting that conversation here. The one question I really wish I'd asked her, and I think I know the answer, it comes down to money, is why is it that COVID-19 has been around less than five years, less than three years, really, yet we already have a vaccine for that three with more in the pipeline, but yet West Nile has been around much longer and there is no vaccine. And when anyone gets it, there's no antiviral, as we discussed. You basically treat the symptoms and hope the body fights it off before the body succumbs. And I think it indeed does come down to money, unfortunately. It's not supposed to be deadly. In my dad's case, it was. And hopefully some more research can be done on that. They think they know some of the causation, but certainly not enough to say definitively, if you get bitten, you're going to have an easy go of it. But if you get bitten, you're going to have a rough go of it. So hopefully some more money can get funneled into that research, which, well, I can say personally, I believe needs to be done. So shifting gears. I've um, been following Rochelle, a friend of mine, and her story on Facebook. Rochelle lives in Springville. Years ago, she was in attendance at a Jason Aldean concert. 
in Las Vegas, the one that became infamous because of the Las Vegas shooter. She survived and um, has been hitting up her socials about a tumbler, a cup that uh, was taken. Now, the good news is you did get the cup back, right? I did get my cup back, and I'm so happy. For those who don't know, now how many years ago was that concert now? It was 2017, so we're coming up on four years. Now, this was the concert that everyone remembers, whether you were there or not, in Las Vegas, Jason L. Dean. Route 91. Mandalay Bay, where the shooter was, and you were there a survivor of what happened that day. Some physically scarred, everyone emotionally scarred to whatever degree. And so what was it, a week or so after the concert, you got that tumbler? I don't remember exactly how long after, but it was fairly soon after. My cousin knew that I was struggling really hard with what was going on, and she has an Etsy business and does tumblers. So she made my tumbler for me and brought it to me as a gift just to try to give me comfort, cheer me up. I mean, I love my tumbler, so that could have been it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was beautifully made and had your name on it. Yeah, it has my name on one side. And then on the other side, it says Route 91 Survivor. So you're given that shortly after the concert as a way of lifting your spirits. And then what happened when you realized it was missing? I went into a state of panic. I have days where I still have triggers and something will happen on the news that'll bring me back to there because of all the crap that goes on in the world. And it's kind of been my comfort. Like I use it all the time. I just It just reminds me that I'm here. I may not know why I was saved, but I'm here. And so it's just kind of been like my security blanket through yeah. the years. So when it was gone, I literally freaked out and went into panic mode trying to figure out how I could figure out how to get it back. And of course, everybody's thing is social media. So there went the post. So it was a store that you went into. You left it there accidentally on the counter got home, realized, and then you called them. What did they say when you called? They said that they saw it and that they would put it behind the counter and I could come get it the next day. Okay. And the next day came and it was gone. I spoke with the manager, explained the situation, and I guess I probably got emotional because that's where it led me because I didn't want to not have my cup. Yeah. And he felt bad for me and went through the video and said, I know who took it. So he recognized the person in the video. It was a regular customer. Yes. So I saw at one point you posted like a still shot of the video on your Facebook page. Did you ever get a look at the actual video itself? I saw just a tiny little something of it. I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to build up that anger that I already had more because it's obvious that it wasn't his. He knew it wasn't his. He was being sketchy taking it. I just, yeah. Well, like you kind of alluded to, it, it goes to show as much as, as I will be down on Facebook for what it has become far too often, social media can really be helpful in righting wrongs like this in that enough pressure 
got put on, I guess, the family ultimately, and they convinced him it would be in his best interest to give the tumbler back to you. Basically, yeah. I mean, I I 100% credit Facebook because my initial post, I didn't post any pictures or anything. I just fled for my cutback. I gave it a week thinking, let's do the right thing. Nothing happened. So yesterday I posted the picture and within a few hours, I had my cutback. I don't know about you, but for me, I would be, now that I got my Tumblr back, it would still be making my heart hurt to a certain degree, wanting to know what the hell he was thinking. And the only reason I I can even equate that is I had my car broken into once when I lived in San Francisco. And nowhere near as sentimental to me, I had a a CD player that was on the dashboard back when you had those and you had a little cassette that goes in, and that was the only thing they took. I would have been happy not getting that CD player back if I had just known the why. Why did they need it so bad they had to break into my car? For me, it's the why this person felt the need to take your tumbler that would still be eating away at me. You know, initially, I wanted to know, like, what the hell he was thinking. But when I went to go meet the daughter-in-law, I had told myself, I am not asking anything. I don't care what the why was. I just want my cup back. Maybe he thought he needed it more than me. I don't know. I just wanted my cup back. And when I went to get it from her, the only words I was going to say is, thank you so much. I appreciate it. But I didn't get that out. I kind of got stopped mid thank you with... A, first of all, my father-in-law inadvertently took your cup, and it's my understanding you left it there anyway, so you need to take your post down. Here's your cup. Wow. Yeah. So, knowing you uh, as well as I do, and the, (laughs) the, the, the emotion of that situation, which I can only imagine... How hard were you biting your tongue to keep yourself from saying something? Because at that point, you're still there. I don't know if the cup is in your hand at that point or not. No, she would not give me my cup. Okay, so at that point, it's, I don't want to say anything that is maybe going to make her change her mind or maybe basically throw this thing against the asphalt or just drive off with it and who knows what. So, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly felt like she was holding it for ransom so she could say what she wanted to say. Because after she said her fill, and after she said, you need to take the post down, which obviously that's how we caught them, and they were very aware of that. Yeah. Then she handed me my cut back. And I decided at that point that I was just thankful I got my cut back, and I was going to do something which is not me. And turn and walk away. Good for you. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but good for you. Oh, God, no, it was not easy, especially not for me, because you know me. I do. But but I was filled with so much emotion that I got it back. And as stupid as it sounds, because, you know, to most people, it's just a cup. But to me, it's a symbol of almost four years of me going from a ball of mush to what I am now. For most of us who 
who only heard of that. Because I, I remember I was on the air that morning when I talked about it, not having any idea that you were there, that anyone that I knew was there. And I have friends that live in Las Vegas because I live there. And I'm sure that they were there or at least were more aware of the details of it than I was. It was a news story, an historic news story, and then to find out the emotional side of what you were going through. And to this point, you're the only person that I know personally who was there at the concert. So I can't even begin to comprehend knowing that this is a story that made national news that you were an intimate part of. And to have this... The security blanket, in a sense, having taken from yeah, you and now returned, sure. it, it's it's not a thing. It is it is absolutely not just a thing. Now, and the 20 minutes between the call and getting it, I was a wreck. Shaking, I'm sure, physically. I cried. I was worried it was going to be destroyed. You know what I mean? There were so many things going through my mind, and... I looked at Greg and I was just like, I know it's just a cup. And he knew, like, he didn't look at me like I was a fool. He didn't look at me like I was being stupid, which most people would. He was super supportive, like he has been the last four years. Mm -hmm. I mean, without him, I literally would not be here because he kept me safe that night. He is my hero. But I mean, he drove me down the hill to pick up my cup yesterday so that he could be there for that. It was definitely emotional. And for anyone who is thinking, well, you got it after the fact. It's not like it was something that you got at the concert itself. Sure, it could have been replaced with another cup, but that never would have been the original cup that you got in the days or so after the concert itself. It's the sentiment behind that item almost as much, if not more, than the tumbler itself. I'm sure that meant the most to you. Yeah, in fact... Dorothy, my daughter, God love her. The minute she found out that my cup was gone, she called my cousin who made my original cup and asked her, could she order one from her for me? Because Mm -hmm. she knew I'm going to cry. She wanted her mommy to have her cup and she knew it wasn't going to be the same, but she wanted to make sure that I had basically my security (laughs) blanket. I get it. So to know that your family sees that ridiculousness, because <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. It's not, though. Please know that it's not. I would do the exact <laughs> same thing. And I'm sure there's a psychological term for it, but the emotion that you have tied into having been there at that concert, you kind of transfer into that tumbler, that cup, and it helps you deal with it. In a way that you wouldn't be able to if you didn't have something you could hold in your hand and have those feelings and have those emotions and deal with it in a healthy way as opposed to turning to drugs or alcohol or worse. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, on on those days where I'm struggling, I have that to look at. And it reminds me I'm a survivor. I'm here for a reason. God knows what it is because I don't. But I'm here. And that's always been my in my face reminder for whatever it's worth having again known you for nearly 10 years now goodness we're getting old i know i know (laughs) (laughs) 
I am beyond grateful that you're still here. And I know we don't hang as much as we used to. I'm still here in Visalia. I haven't gone anywhere, but you're off in Springville now, way off in BFE. So I do see your Facebook posts, and I see the things that you do and the joy that you bring to those that you do get a chance to see on a regular basis. And if that's the only reason why you're still with us, it's more than enough. I truly appreciate that. And, and you know that I cherish our friendship, so... That means a lot to me. Well, I'm glad you got your Tumblr back. I'm glad social media was the good guy this time around as opposed to the bad guy. For real. <laughs> <laughs> Finally set the shit out of it. And I know short of having a GPS tracker on your Tumblr from now on, you will probably never, ever lose that again. Yeah, yeah. I know that was not an easy conversation for Rochelle to have, but... I'm glad she decided to have it with me and reveal some things that maybe you didn't know if you had heard a little something about that on Facebook. And that's about it with our time this week. Thank you to uh, Sharon Minnick and to Rochelle and my dad for being my constant inspiration. And if there's any reason you want to reach out and say hi and give me some ideas of things we can talk about next week, email me anytime. Mike Pesto, M-I-K-E-P-E-S-T-O at M-E dot com. And we'll do this again next week.